Good evening, and if you're just tuning in, you are listening live to 105.3 out of New Orleans, Louisiana. I am your host, Laura Lee Potvin. Welcome to the Angel Rock Live. If you've never been to the show before, welcome. And if you're returning, we love your support. Either way, there's something for everybody on this network. We are now streaming on our own Roku channel. We are The network is known as either United Public Radio Network and also UFO Paranormal Radio Network, or just UPRN. So if you want to find it on Roku, the way to find it, I don't have the channel code, so you can go to the channel store, and you're going to look up UFO space P is in Peter, and when you do, there'll be a list that'll come up, and you'll find, I think it's the third or fourth one down, it's UFO space Paranormal and United Public. I think it says radio. Pretty sure you'll find it. It's pretty easy that way. So again, if you haven't been to the show, welcome. I am a Canadian clairvoyant medium. I'm a crystal Reiki energy healer, Akashic Records practitioner, spiritual teacher and mentor, and I'm a registered nurse. And the guests that I have on my show, whatever they're doing, the show is always about the work that they're doing, either professionally or extracurricularly, to make a positive change for humanity. Now, our guest is no different. I'm going to introduce her in one second. I always forget to remind people of this. If you want to participate, <coughs> excuse me, in the conversation, and you know I love I love reading your questions and comments and making you part of the show, please head over to UFO Paranormal Radio, either on Facebook or the YouTube channel, and I'll be able to see your comments because you want, we love having you as part of the Angel Rock family and UPRN. So my guest, and I'm going to read my face, she sent me the most incredible bio, and I, I kind of shortened it here. So my guest we're welcoming tonight is Barbara Kazi Bartolome, I hope I said that right, Barbara, who is the founder and leader of INDS, which is International Association for Near Death. Uh, studies, I believe, out of Santa Barbara. Barbara experienced an NDE, as they're known, or near-death experience after a medical procedure in 1987 and felt very alone afterwards, not really anybody to kind of discuss it with. Um, she began to research the topic, I believe, from remembering from her bio after talking to a friend who was a nurse and has since helped to contribute increased awareness of NDEs, having been on the Today Show, uh, featured in the 2011 documentary, Afterlife, uh, I believe in guideposts, there's some books, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. And like I said, we're going to talk about the fascinating topic of NDEs. Most of you that are followers of the show know I've mentioned numerous times, either professionally as well as personally, I've been studying near-death experiences. So I'm super excited about this. Welcome, Barbara. <laughs> Probably thought it was never going to talk. inviting me. Pardon? Thank you for inviting me, Laura Lee. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to say hi to Jane. She's in central Louisiana. Yes, I can see you, Jane. Welcome. Um, so Barbara, yeah, we started almost this show before. That's why I said, let's stop. Hey, Michelle Pratt, we got from Australia saying good day already. Um, I want, you know what? I've got a lot of people, like I said, that were messaging me because I do, I spent about two hours promoting this show on all social media. And then there's an event that's created and everybody starts flooding the messages once I send the event. And I got all kinds of feedback about near-death experiences. Now, it's commonplace now, but let's go back a little bit to your experience. What happened? Like, 
I, I can't even imagine because there's a story I share. I'll interject maybe a little way along the show about how I found about them about them as well around the same time. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit because I was raised in Salem, Oregon, and I okay. uh, was born there. And I call it Pacific Northwest because it's so rainy up there. Yeah. And um, as a child, I was really different from my peers, from my siblings. Um, I adopted people and it was a really weird thing because literally the old people in the neighborhood, I would go over to their homes and sit with them. And if there was a new kid in school, I would walk up to them and say, hi, my name's Barbie. Do you want to meet friends? And, you know, I didn't see color. I didn't see, um, you know, anything that separated me from the rest of the kids and the rest of the people. I, I didn't see differences. And so I took everybody in. And um, my parents were a little questioning on why I was like that and different from my siblings. And um, I felt very connected to God when I was young. And I didn't know why, because my parents didn't go to church. And, you know, I didn't really have that influence other than from a grandmother. And so I actually wanted to take my little sister. She was three and I was five. And we used to walk more than a mile to get to a, a church that we'd go to on Sunday. Now, oh, wow. I, yeah, I didn't feel like we would walk alone, which was kind of interesting. Back then, people didn't worry about their kids walking alone. But um, I didn't feel like I needed to go there for the church part of it. But what I needed there was the understanding of other people that God was actually real and that that was, you know, that's what I was looking for is other people who understood that, you know, and I didn't know why I had felt like that as a child. Um, I didn't find out until I was about 55 years old. And my older brother took me aside when we were having dinner one evening up in Oregon and we'd gone up to visit. And he said, hey, Barb, there's something I need to tell you that I've always felt that I should. But of course, the parents said back when it happened for me not to mention it to you because he's 10 years older than me. Okay. And so I guess when I was about 18 months old, I uh, had a very high fever and I was very sick and my mom was caring for me and she was also very pregnant with my little sister ready to deliver. And I guess that I went into convulsions, he said. Oh, my God, you were giving me goosebumps. Because remember I said before the show, I believe I had a near-death experience. I had identical, oh, my God, I got goosebumps. I had to stop you, sorry. <laughs> Go yep. ahead. Yep, and I never knew this happened. So, see, that's why you didn't know it happened. You knew that the incident had occurred, probably because you may remember that. I don't remember even the incident. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening, he said, was that when my dad called up the fire department, because there wasn't a 911 back then. Yeah. Um, he said that the fire department told my dad to tell my mom who was sobbing over the top of me and holding me, um, to put me into tepid bath water, because if they put me into cold water with my temperature being so high, it would cause me to go into shock. And then I would have worse problems that they would have to deal with when the ambulance came. So my mom, you know, started filling the bathtub up with tepid water. And she told both my older brothers to run next door to get some more ice from the neighbors. And when my brother came back, he said it was about eight, eight minutes later, he said that I had turned soft purple. I was completely lifeless. My mom was holding me in the water with one hand and just crying. And she said, he said, you know, it was just traumatic. And he handed my mom the ice and she started adding, you know, it little by little into the bath water to cool it down. 
And he said after, you know, three or four minutes, four or five minutes, I don't know how long, he said, all of a sudden, you just resuscitated. He said, you took a deep breath, you arched your, your back backwards, and then you turned from purple to red again, because you were still very hot. And he said, you started crying. And he said, I was never so happy to see little bratty redhead you, you know, start crying because, you know, it had been so traumatic to see me dead. And, and he said it was really, so the ambulance came in, took me away. I was in the hospital for three or four days. He doesn't know what I was actually sick with, but he told me that when I was 55 and I had never told him. I wonder why you said NDEs. You are giving me goosebumps. I had a fever of 106 between two and three. And every time, no 911, every time my parents would bring me to emerge, um, I'd stop seizuring. So they'd send me home and they'd say, you know, back then they used the alcohol rub like to, to, to get the fever down. The third time it happened at home. My parents went into emerge. Apparently I was still seizuring. So they took me in the back. They wouldn't let my parents go back there for quite a few hours. And again, same thing. I was in the hospital. I think it was for a week. Sorry, I had to share that and jump yes, in because, because mm -hmm. you may not remember the actual, you know, actually having know. the death experience because I don't remember being how dramatic for your brother. Sorry, yeah, I had to it, that it was there. really scary for him and and my other brother too, and my and my sister. My sister remembers it. She was about six years old at the time, and she remembers it really well as as well. So what ended up happening was that then many years passed. Um, I was 31 years old. I was here in Santa Barbara. I had moved down here um, because the person who I had met up in Oregon had a home down here in Santa Barbara and wanted me to get married and move down here. And I had previously the seven foot tall husband. No, it's actually, <laughs> okay, it's actually this previous person that was. Okay. Um, an engineer here in Santa Barbara. Now I'm married to a seven yes, foot tall husband. I'm sorry. Very wonderful. <laughs> yes. But the previous person was very abusive and he had anger issues, probably from his childhood, from his father. Mm -hmm. um, there was it, just big issues. And I didn't know that when I married him. And then it started coming out and I was a thousand miles away from my family wow. and all my friends. And I was in a new community. And, and so I um, took it for quite a long time I'm and so I ended up, um, he ended up hurting my back. Um, they ruptured a disc in my lower back. And um, so I ended up going to a doctor who said initially, the first doctor I saw said, you're not going to walk again, like this can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. And so the people that I did know here in town uh, said, you should go to this other doctor's a neurosurgeon, you should check with him. So I took the x-rays and CAT scans and stuff from the first doctor over to the second doctor. And he kind of cockily said, Oh yeah, I can fix that. So of course I wanted to believe him. So he scheduled surgery in December of 1987. I had had a baby daughter in July of that year. And so she was about five months old and my older son was about eight years old at the time. And so I went into the hospital the night before the surgery, which was gonna be like at 7 a.m. And they decided that they had wanted to do another pre-test prior to the surgery to see if my spinal cord had been damaged when the disc between my L5 and my S1 vertebrae had blown out. So they thought that maybe one of the pieces had chipped it. So they did a uh, myelogram. They had me on an x-ray table. They injected iodine dye into the back of my neck, right below my, yeah, my base of my skull. 
And then they told me, you've got to hold very still because if you move at all, you're going to have headaches for months afterwards. Please do not move. And so I said, okay. And so I'm laying on the x-ray table and the guy who's pushing the button on the x-ray table, um, he starts talking to the other guy who has the monitor in front of him. And both of the doctors that are going to do surgery the next day are leaning against a wall right behind the guy who's going to push the button on the table. And they're talking to each other and not paying any attention. This is kind of just a regular, you know, routine test. They just wanted to see if the spinal cord had been damaged. And there was a nurse in the room. And when the guy who was pushing the button on the table started talking to the other guy, they were talking about their weekend plans. And he was pushing the wrong button on the table. And I didn't, I couldn't tell. And I was laying there and it started to very slowly go. And I thought, you know, it was supposed to be going up and it was actually going down. So the dye that they just injected into the back of my neck was going into my brain. So the first thing that happened was I felt really funny. And I, within seconds of, of starting to tip and I thought, oh God, you know, this is really weird. I, I feel like I'm going to faint. I wonder if I should say something. And then as they kept on lowering the table, it was getting worse, worse. And the two of them were talking about their weekend plans. And I couldn't see the two doctors because his body was kind of blocking me from seeing them. And the nurse was over at a table by the door and I, she was too far away. So I was just kind of laying there going, should I say something? Should I say something? And so then finally, when I started, uh, my eyes started rolling to the back of my head and I felt just like I was going to completely pass out. I decided, okay, I've got to say something. And yet right at that point, I couldn't actually talk. And I, my brain was so dysfunctional that I couldn't, I could think something, but I couldn't open my mouth and actually get it out. And I couldn't reach my hand over and touch him. So he wasn't even looking at me or anything. He was just talking to the other guy. And then luckily I started hyperventilating and I was going, <laughs> And my eyes were rolling to the back of my head. And that's what made him stop talking to the guy. He heard me breathing really fast, leaned over my face, saw my eyes rolling backwards. Then he leaned back to where he could see where his thumb was on the side of the uh, X-ray table. And then he made this face like, oh, my God. And he realized what he'd done. And right at that second, I checked out. I, I literally left my body. So I just shut my eyes in my body. And the next second I was up on the ceiling up above my body and there was no alarm, no scared, no frightened, no upset, no nothing. It was just simply, I looked down and I went, I was 31 years old and I went, huh, if I'm up here and my body's down there and he's calling code blue, I think I just died. And there wasn't any like, oh, God, no, I got to go back. You know, it was completely calm. And I felt and like peaceful, I was no pain, right? No pain. No, yep. Mm -hmm. no, pain, no, just no worries, no nothing. I just I knew that what had just happened. I was watching everybody down below and watching everything. But the minute that I said that, you know, I think I just died. I realized that there was somebody that was right next to me. There was a presence of oh. energy right next to me. And I began, as I was watching everything down below, talking to it. And I was very calmly saying, I really need to go back into my life because if I leave my children in this way, they won't grow up to be the good human beings they're capable of being. With them being abused by my husband and me not being there to protect them or get them out of that situation, it was going to be terrible for them. And so I was asking very calmly and very gently to please 
be, can I please go back into my life to protect my children? Well, I said that about four different times while they were doing all this stuff down below. They were, they started at CPR, they were doing chest compressions, they were blowing in my mouth. Then they got an oxygen cart in when they stopped blowing in my mouth and they had an oxygen mask over my face and they were still doing the chest compressions and, and then you know, doing the, yeah. <laughs> and so the doctors were, you know, standing back, they weren't actually doing anything. They were just calling out orders. The nurse was on the phone calling for the defib unit stat, but it never came in. So the neurosurgeon said to the orthopedic surgeon, too much time has passed. She's going to be brain dead. We need to do something. So the orthopedic surgeon said, stand clear. And the people that were around the table stepped backwards and he just took two steps forward and he just took his fist from behind his back. And he just I went, knew you were going to say that. <clears throat> and he smacked my chest with his fist. I didn't feel it. I was up on the ceiling. I watched it. I watched my body kind of respond to it because my body just kind of jerked, jerked when he yeah. hit me. And, but I didn't go back in, but right up on the ceiling, the being finally spoke to me because I'd been speaking to him asking to go back and so it said in this beautiful voice, but if you go back, you'll still be in your marriage. What will you do? And then showed me these film clips that just went flush, 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 across my face. And it was all these incidents that I had lived through with my husband where he'd hit me, pushed me, shoved me, kicked me, beat me, blah, blah, blah. Everything else that he'd done when he got excited and upset, he would do these things and he would always apologize afterwards or, you know, say, I'm going to take you out to dinner. I'm so sorry. I will never do it again. It would always happen again. So they reminded me of all these things that had happened. And then they gave me this time to think about all the things that I had done to try to help him change. And I had, you know, initially written long letters stating, I'm, I'm not going to accept this abuse. You can't do this to me. Um, I took him to a pastor of a church and he rejected that after two or three sessions. I took him to a marriage family therapist. He rejected that again after two or three sessions. He just, you know, wouldn't, take any effort to change he would say that he was never going to do it again he he would do it again I even left him for a whole year and he my mom came down from Oregon to help me with my son it was before my daughter was born and um he he went over on his lunch hour and talked to my mom and convinced her that he had changed and he'd had counseling and everything so that she would be on his side. Then two of them, both of them were trying to get me to go back to him. And so I, I ended up going back, but then my back got injured um, after he hurt me. And so here I am up on the ceiling and I'm watching all this and everything's going on. And, and so I thought of all the things that I'd done. And then I said to the being, if you let me go back, I promise you I'll get strong enough to leave him. Mm -hmm. And the second I said that, that doctor, the orthopedic surgeon did the second precardial thump and struck my chest the second time. It's probably only seconds after the first, but up there on the ceiling, it seemed like a really long time between the first strike and the second strike. And the second strike restarted my heart and I shut my eyes up on the ceiling and opened them. And I was back into my body with the oxygen mask on my face. So I said in the oxygen mask, what just happened? Cause I had never heard of a near death experience. I'd never been a meditator. I never knew about going out of body. I didn't know anything about that. And so I said, you know, what just happened? And they leaned over the nurse and said, stop, don't talk. We need to stabilize you. 
So like for 20 minutes, they're like doing whatever they had to do to stabilize me. And then when they finally took the oxygen mask off, they're all standing there wanting to see what I'm going to say. The neurosurgeon, the orthopedic surgeon, the two tech guys, the x-ray tech guys, the guy that brought in the oxygen, the lady that brought in the oxygen cart, the guy that brought in the heart monitor. I watched the heart monitor show a flat line. I actually saw my own flat line. So, you know, all these people are standing there and I said, what just happened? I was up on the ceiling the whole time and I could see and hear everything that was being done in the room. And the neurosurgeon went, oh, brother. And I said, no, she was doing this. You said this, you did this, you did that. She did this, you did this, you did this. I completely pointed everybody and told them what they did. And they were all freaked out. And the neurosurgeon actually clenched his hands up next to his body and went, I'm not going to stand here and listen to this. And he stormed out of the room. But the orthopedic surgeon took my hand and he said, tell me, what did you feel like? What, what did you see again? And tell me how, how, what did, what, how did you feel? What, what, what did it feel like? You know, and he was very interested in the whole thing and everybody else listened while he was asking questions. Then they put me on a gurney and sent me up to my room. And then no one would talk to me the whole four days that I was there. They did the surgery the next morning. And so my ex-husband now, um, he, when he came in to see me, he, um, you know, I told him what happened during the myelogram and he made me close down completely on it because he said, well, that couldn't have happened. You probably hallucinated it. I've, I, I was raised by a police officer, mom, she became a police officer when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I never did drugs. I never, I literally drank alcohol, like maybe three times in my whole life. I don't do stuff like that. I never did it. And, and I don't, I'm not a hallucinator. And I also have had a security clearance um, secret um, with the Department of Defense. I didn't bring that up. I didn't know if you wanted to or not. Yeah. I call that our muscle jobs or what we yeah, used to I, do. <laughs> you know, they check the background like minutely. And so I've, I don't have any negatives in my background. I don't, I didn't do anything wrong. I had a police officer mom said she'd always say she was going to shoot my butt off if I did anything wrong. So I was like, yes, mom. Okay, no worries. I'm going to be a good girl. So it was really weird to be told, you know, that you probably hallucinated that. And so I didn't think anybody would ever believe me. And so I just kept it completely quiet for about 12 years. I left my husband and I got divorced. Um, what's wonderful is that it took me about two years. Um, I was writing down character traits in a little spiral notebook that was next to my bed. You manifested um, your husband. In the apartment, <laughs> yeah, well, that my, my son and my daughter and I lived in. And I literally had like 206 things written down. And I would always say at night before I'd shut the book, you know, having added something that I saw in somebody that day, you know, like another character trait. And I would say, you know, I, I don't know who this person is I'm writing about, but I know that you know who it is. And so if you could bring him to me in the right way, in a safe way, so I could trust, you know, then check to see if they are this person and with the right timing for their life and my life, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And then I'd go to bed. Well, I now have a seven foot tall husband, ex NBA basketball player, who is the gentlest, sweetest guy in the whole wide world. And he and I have been married on April 24th this year. It'll be 30 years. So yeah, so I got, I got rewarded. I was yeah. just thinking, Barbara, we've got mm. some great comments too I'm going to share. But yeah. you know what? What a perfect story to share with our audience. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Now, I don't celebrate it. Like, I, I love it. It's great because I believe that we shouldn't have to have a special day to tell people how much they every mean to day. how much we love them. We should tell That's them every right. day. 
and we don't just love the people that are in our family or our friends. We love everybody. And that's super important to just love it. It's hard though, you know, because I talk about a lot of this stuff. I have a second show on Thursday nights. Forgot to mention that guys, you you may know about it. If you follow the show, it's a thing at the foot of the bed and my co-host and I, actually answer my my co-host has had an incredible near-death experience we talk about it quite a bit he was in a coma actually for two months and some of the things he saw and experienced and um like i said we try to answer some of these questions and one of the things that's the hardest right we got to work on ourselves with the healing and learn to love ourselves but um i also talk a lot about energy not coming from a place of fear, I call it a love shield, but say people are sensitive to energy and say something's being sent to you. I always say that maybe you can feel or you know that's negative. I say always, you know, you can you can set the intention, return to sender. I said, but if you're able to include love with that, because that person really does need that love if they're sending something that's not positive. Exactly. And it's hard to do, man. It is hard to do. It is. We're human. And I'm not, I'm not perfect. I tell people I'm not perfect, but I really try to walk the walk and of the talk of the talk that I do. I can tell that you do too from. Yep. Yep. We have a little 11 year old granddaughter. We call her adopted by love. And I met her when she was three months old. And so we spend um, one day a week with her, taking her to ice skating and go out to dinner and, you know, all sorts of fun things. We do crafting stuff and yeah, she's our little sweet bright light and we just totally adore her. And I've had many elderly people that I've adopted that are towards the end of their life that needed, you know, somebody in their life because they didn't have children or their children. um, One person I knew the children had gone into drugs and she wasn't associated with them anymore. So she was alone. And so I just, you know, try to give the love away as much as our house was like that too. I noticed Mm -hmm. that in your bio, there was a lot of kids around that came from, really difficult upbringings and I always made it very clear I'm not your friend but if you need a mom you're welcome and they would come they would come yep. they drop in they used to one of them nicknamed me Mima. I have no idea why <laughs> I can still be out in the city and hear Mima. I have a younger son with uh, severe autism as well oh. so I, mean, I do want to actually you brought something up that just made me think of this that you know what your granddaughter is going to have these memories for life because my ex-mother-in-law actually passed away in her sleep overnight so sending her much love and she was uh, more of a mother to me than my own mom so um but she was a great grandmother to both of my boys and the memories so that was such a beautiful thing that you shared and the time that you share with your granddaughter that's beautiful yeah you can keep it doesn't first people don't have to be part of your family to just absolutely adore them and take them in and adopt them you know by love and so yeah it's it just brightens your life up so much it's amazing yeah, exactly. One of my favorite quotes, I was trying to find it, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but my guilty pleasure was Supernatural. And one of the quotes out of that show went something to the effect that family doesn't begin or start with blood. And it was talking basically about the people that you meet, that you hand choose, that they also become family too, right? Mm-hmm. And it again, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. I would have pulled it up, but I just love that quote because it's so important that yeah. people don't realize so that we're, we're all connected 
And before we get into that, I want to read a few comments because we've had some really interesting comments here. I told you I got a lot before the show, too, because it's a common, much more common thing to talk about near-death experiences. Before I read them, I want to share this quickly. I was 17 years old, and I was at the hairdressers, and she, her mom had died um, previously, a couple years before, and she was having a hard time, and she found this book called enter into the light i'm um i'm trying to barbara Eady. i think it's barbara Eady that wrote it and her near-death experience is extraordinary it was like a three-day experience overnight she back in the 70s when she had had it so i read it and i was entering into university for nursing and so i decided i was going to sign up for nursing journals and what have you and at this publication still out it's whatever year it was and it was nursing 1984 first I remember this and I'm 57 gonna be 58 in August and I remember the cover and there are two things on that cover I always remembered one of them was why are we always eating our young and it was talking about senior nurses being very um, harsh with student nurses and what have you and I always remembered that Again, you know, like, well, I think it's in your nature, though, just as a child, like you said, always refriending the child, maybe that didn't have a friend or whatever it was being a caregiver, right? And I always took students, still love to teach, right? Always like to welcome people that are new, because you can really feel what other people feel almost like, you know, what it feels like to be the new guy. But the other thing was nurses experiences with NDEs. And I read that and I felt like I was home. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten a book my hairdresser had shared, but I had to read it. I read it. It wasn't a really big book, but I read it cover to cover. I just couldn't put it down. And that's what started my study. And then patients, I worked on in the NICU. Well, obviously, little ones couldn't tell me, but mm-hmm. I worked palliative care and cardiac step down, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'd have people that would go through an arrest. Right. Believe them wholeheartedly because just like you shared what you saw and what people were saying and whatever, these people were doing the same. And there's no way that they knew. I'm going to add before we pick up there, I could go, I could talk for hours about this. (laughs) So um, Michelle Pratt from Australia, and I love that she always tunes in. I think she's getting ready for work. So thanks, Michelle. She says, my mom told me, I'll highlight it, sorry. My mom told me she died on the operating table. She was in a circle of people and a bright light flashing over her face. Interesting what she heard. Michelle says her mom heard the voice, a voice said, who this stops on gets a second chance. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, Rosie says your story that you were sharing at the time, she said that near-death experience is similar to my own. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'll am i highlight these for you. She said, I'm 43 years old and can still recall my NDE when I was like five or six. However, no one was around me when I died and then came back. And she said, she, uh, you're giving her goosebumps with the uh, NDE story. George says, hello. Uh, We've got Yvonne Gladwell says, what a great story. Because I I wanted to ask you that, Barbara, because I had a friend from high school contact me just before. And I wasn't aware that his younger sister, who also went to school same time as I did, had had an NDE as an eight-year-old. Well, not an NDE, sorry. I'm going to back up. Had a cardiac arrest. Had explained it that she was playing park, I guess, and the swing 
I, I could, I'm going to change a few details. Just mm -hmm. to, I never asked his permission to tell this story, but basically, that looks like something got wrapped around her neck, like from the swing, and they saved her. Like she had no pulse, no breathing. So he messaged her when he saw this and asked her if she remembered, and she said, "No, I don't remember anything." In my experience, I found that just because you're you flatline, we'll say no no heartbeat, no breath, not everybody has an NDE. And I've always thought that it was because maybe it's not built into this lifetime. Maybe there's not something you need to remember, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. What have you seen and experienced? Well, um, most of the people that I'm connected with that have had NDEs, of course, yeah, you would hear that. Yeah. Talking about them through the IANS organization. And that's what caused me to bring my <laughs> NDE up to the surface because, you know, I didn't know how to like who to talk to. I, I was working at UC Santa Barbara in the Graduate School of Education, and I didn't tell anybody on campus. I, I had, I was really big in volunteering, and I had my family. We were all volunteering, and I got named as the unsung heroine for the campus for all my volunteer work. Well, I'm not going to come forward and say, guess what? I had a near-death experience. You know, and people don't didn't understand it back then, and. I, I just wasn't going to tell anybody. It wasn't until I actually went to an IANS conference in like 19, oh, let's see, 2009, I think it was, 2009, that I went to the San Diego. I was wondering, because I've heard your story. That yeah. I reached out to you a couple of years ago. I've known Barbara this long, and I've been wanting to have her on. But um, yeah. please continue, because I kept thinking, I can't remember how you how you came out of the NDE yeah. closet, as I call it, like, Rave yeah. found people to talk. So go ahead. There go were ahead. like 50 people at that conference that they had set aside a time when the experiencers were all supposed to meet in a room. We all sat in a big giant circle and we had, we were supposed to take five to seven minutes to talk about our own NDE and then go around the circle. Every person talked about their NDE and there were just so many similarities and it was just, okay, I'm not alone. And these people have had it too. And it's, I, I'm not going to say that it didn't happen. I'm, I'm going to say that it happened. And I know that it, this it did happen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I hadn't even been talking to anybody about it. And I had, it was really live inside me. So all the moments of it, like when I would think about it, I, I could actually look down from the ceiling when I was thinking about being up on the ceiling, I could actually see the table below me. I could see where the x-ray the machine was kind of at the side over here. I could see the table over by the door where the lady was. I could actually like look down and see everything. So it was still really real inside me and like the most important memory that I have. And so I just, I meeting at that IANS organization conference. And then I came home and it was two years later when I started the group here in Santa Barbara. And it was because a, a newspaper here in Santa Barbara wanted to print my story in the Sunday section and you know, come and interview me. And um, so they did that. And the guy asked me, why are we printing this story about this near-death experience? And I said, let me call you back on that. Can, when are you printing this? And he said, Sunday. And I said, okay, let me call you back. So then I called the IANS organization and said, how hard is it to start a group in my own area? And they said, oh, it's not hard at all. And so I called the guy back and said, well, the reason why we're printing this story about me is because we're going to start a group here. In oh, wow, I love it. 
Yeah, so it's been running for 11 years, and I've had <coughs> all the big names, Eben Alexander, Dr. Eben Alexander, Anita Moore, Johnny. Girl, Jeff. you are reading my mind. This happens lots on this show, yeah. but I was just thinking about him. <laughs> yeah, I love the people that come to visit. And, and when you live in Santa Barbara, that's hardly anybody doesn't want to come to Santa Barbara to come to my island. So there, I bet. Yes, I'll come. So yeah, it's been a wonderful experience to have all these wonderful people come and talk about their NDEs. And, and the thing is that most of them say, you know, that it's really life changing for them. And I feel that completely in my own life. And I felt it as a young child and how I acted. But I didn't know that I'd had that NDE at 18 months old. So the way that I acted was reflective of the NDE that. happening but I didn't know about the NDE and my parents and my siblings, you know, and my friends, they would just, especially when I had intuition moments, which I don't call intuition coming from myself. I say that intuition is actually the other side helping you and planting something like, don't go down that alleyway, you know, and you know, you have to either listen to it, which I always do, or you ignore it. And then sometimes bad stuff happens. Oh, geez, I should have listened. Exactly. So you know, I was questioning yeah. some things this last week or so, just with experiences that have happened. And again, you hear that inner guidance. And I always tell people you don't hear voices. I don't. Some people claim they hear a different I voice. Do. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, a couple times I've heard really it's one one really amazing one was we were driving back from San Francisco and I had talked at four IONS groups up in San Francisco. So my husband was driving our van and we got just north of Santa Barbara, about 30 miles north. We came around this corner where the um, freeway comes from inland and it comes along the coast and starts running towards Santa Barbara. We're on the beach. And uh, this big gust of wind hit the side of our van. And I saw my husband struggling to hold the steering wheel tight to not have us roll over. And I said, you know, we think we should slow down. I think that, you know, the gusts of wind are really big tonight. And I think we should, you know, slow down. He said, yeah, I think so too. So he did. He slowed from like 65 down to 50. And I thought we're safe. We're okay. And I was looking out the window at the stars and the moon, you know, and relaxing. We're only half an hour away from home. And all of a sudden, this voice gets in my ear goes, danger, big impact ahead, danger, big impact. And I'm like, so I, I sat my seat up and I checked my seatbelt, made sure it was nice and tight against me. And I said, you know how I sometimes hear from the other side? And he, Victor said, yes, uh-huh, what, what happened? And I said, well, I just heard danger, big impact ahead, danger, big impact. So I said something, whether it's a tree that's blown down, whether it's a car that's gone out of control, I don't know what it is, but we're going to need to have stopping time. So let's go from 50 miles an hour, let's do 30. And he looked at me and he said, Barbara, we're on the freeway, we can't do 30. And I looked in behind our van and I said, there's nobody following us. There's nobody coming. There's no lights back there. So nobody's coming. Nobody's going to care. Do 30 until you see somebody coming. What we didn't know was that the California Highway Patrol had closed the freeway behind us. We were the only car in between the closure that they had done on the freeway and what was up ahead we were heading towards, which was an overturned semi-truck and I got warned just before we got there to do 10 miles an hour. They voice, actually, they clenched my upper arms. I felt the grip of, on my upper arms and I saw the shimmer of a face in front of me and they screamed 10 miles an hour. And I was so freaked that they were touching me and that they'd said that, that I said to my husband, 10 miles an hour. And we were just before we had seen the truck yet. Our lights had not lit it up yet. And right after we, um, 
slowed down to 10 miles an hour, um, we actually saw the truck in our lights and we were able to swerve off to the left side of the road and go around the front of the truck and completely avoid hitting the wow. cab of the truck, which is where the gas tanks are. So I actually get help with actually that kind of help. And it's pretty awesome. And I always, you know, immediately start saying thank you and that I'm here for them. And, you know, they can put somebody in front of me and I, I want to help people. And yeah, I can't do everything and I can't fix everybody, but I can do what is around me and help people that I can. So, yeah, so that's pretty much, you know, it's, it's pretty much interesting to live a life after you've had a near-death experience because that other side is pretty open to talking to you and you're it's like your channel is open and you know you get these amazing messages and woo yeah i just came up with a question i want to share rosie's uh Kakuma says damn goosebumps again <laughs> so what i was thinking maybe it's coming from spirit too is do you feel like you said you almost feel like it's not intuition it's the other side working with us I, and it just popped in my head now. I'm wondering if part of that is because of the NDEs that you've had, that you're able to hear, sense, and feel. Whereas I feel as regular human beings, and I'm not saying we're irregular. What I'm saying is we're not raised, like we should be hearing this from birth about all this stuff, right? right. And the other right. side and meditation and what have you. We don't. So it's almost like we've closed that door. It's there. All we have to do is open that door. So what I'm trying to say is with the NDEs, that door is open. It's been slammed wide open. You? So the communication, you can hear it, you can feel it. Do you think maybe that's what part of it is? Or have you got a different thought on that? No, I think that people that haven't had an NDE can open the door themselves. Absolutely. No, but I bet the reason why you can hear oh, and like you, said, you yeah. felt and saw and mm -hmm. so wide open and it's been open since I was a little girl. I mm -hmm. I really remember this one time that um I was standing on the street corner with my mom and I was like five years old and my little sister was three years old and you didn't break my mom's grip. You always held on to her hand because she was not the kind of person that you. Like you like, said, she became a police officer. Yeah, so exactly, I don't think she was really trifled with. Yeah. <laughs> her husband had died in the Korean war and he had been a jet fighter pilot and she had actually worked on the airplane. She was like a yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, anything you say, ma'am type of person. And so we were standing on the street corner in Salem, Oregon, and all of a sudden I got rid of my grip with her and I covered my face and I was five years old and she looked down at me, you know, with this, you know, what do you think you're doing look on her face? And I said through my hands, they're going to crash. And from behind us, a car came towards the intersection ran the red light and T-boned the car that was in the middle of the intersection going through on the green light and that pushed it clear over to the far side of the intersection away from us. But the crash and the explosion of the, you know, sound and everything was so shocking. My mom let go of my little sister's hand. She was three and she kneeled down and she took both of my shoulders. She took my shoulders and she shook me and she said, don't you ever tell anyone you can do that. Don't you ever talk about that. Aww. So it was really scary to her that I was able to have the intuition moments that came through in my life just naturally. So I think but that that's mama's love. Like I felt that when you yeah. said that, like she told you that because she knew what people would think if you could do that. Right. Oh, and you could say exactly. that. 
Yeah. And in high school, I was at a, at a party where there was a bunch of people there and all of a sudden um, I don't drink, I didn't drink. And the rest of my three girlfriends that were there with me, they were drinking heavily like high school kids will Mm -hmm. Um, beer. It was a big kegger. And um, all of a sudden I blinked my eyes really fast I I didn't, I didn't do it myself. And I saw that down the long driveway, we were clear out in the country and there was a really long driveway to the house we were at. And I, I didn't know the people that owned it. I didn't know the person who was having the party. It was the other girls that I had come with. And, um, I could see the police officers doing a silent approach, what they call the silent approach up to the house. They were going to arrest those that were underage drinkers. And so I grabbed my three girlfriends and dragged them off the course of the patio out into the underbrush and then the cops came you know zooming in and were arresting people and we were out in this underbrush one of my girlfriends threw up on my foot which oh god so then after they were all gone we're walking back to the car and you know i've saved them from getting arrested and they're kind of a little bit more not as drunk as they were you know two hours earlier because we were out there about two hours in the underbrush And um, one of them goes, you know, wait a minute, your mom is a cop. Did you, are you a narc? Did you tell about this party? And I'm like, I didn't know where this party was. How would I do that? I haven't gone inside. Do you think it's mental telepathy that I sent the police this address? I said, I didn't know. I said, no, I'm not a narc. I said, she goes, well, how did you know they were coming? And I made the mistake of telling her that I had just, weirdly had blinked my eyes really fast and seen them coming up the driveway and I knew that they were coming up and so she started calling me a witch at school the following Monday I don't know why you were gonna say that because that's what I kept hearing when you shared about your mom saying don't you ever tell anybody because that's what people say right they do I'm so sorry continue because that's awful yep and so I really had a tough time getting her to stop that we didn't we weren't friends anymore because I told her you know what you're doing is really wrong and I'm not a witch I just I don't even know how that worked but I you know I saved your your butt on that situation and you should be grateful not you know making fun of me at school and stuff so um yeah it was hard so I I learned you know not to not to tell, not to, you know, I, I, if I could do something, like if there was some sort of something that I knew was going to happen and it was something that I could make a change and help someone, then I, you know, would make the change and I would do it. But if it was something that, you know, I, there wasn't anything I could do, it was, this was going to happen and, you know, whatever, then I just had to make a decision of, you know, not letting anybody know that I knew it was going to happen. And it doesn't happen all the time. It's not like a daily thing or a weekly thing. It's just, it seems to be kind of, um, interestingly, when it's something that's going to happen to me is when I get the um, information like, you know, you need to slow down or you need to not go down that alleyway or you need to, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So um, I did have a really interesting moment in Belize when I got off a cruise ship. My three girlfriends decided they wanted to go lay on the beach for the day. And I'm a redhead, so I'm in a sunburn. So I said, oh, yes. no, I'm going to walk into town. And all these people were walking along the sidewalk from the cruise ship security gate to the downtown area of Belize City. And there were about 14 guys that were along the side of this one, you know, wall along the sidewalk. And everybody was walking past these 14 guys. And I was alone. There were four, two couples in front of me, four people and two couples behind me. And they, this guy was like about six foot four. And he reached out, grabbed my left arm 
pulled me into this alleyway that you couldn't even see because they were kind of blocking it with their bodies. And then two guys closed ranks in front of the alleyway. It was really thin. And they kind of were standing there like this. And then nobody even knew that I was gone. He was dragging me down the alleyway saying, I'm going to show you something you're never going to forget. And I was freaked out at first. The first 20 steps, I was really freaked out. But in that alleyway in Belize, I actually heard my deceased police officer mom's voice. And she was mad because back when we were teenagers, my little sister is six foot three and I'm five foot nine. And she used to say to us, if anyone ever uses the element of surprise against you, like to abduct you or do something against you, I want you to remember to turn the element of surprise around on them to get away or to, you know, deal with the situation. Use the element of surprise to your benefit. And we used to go, mom, they're never going to do that to us. This We're the big girls. They're going to take the little girls. I'm and five foot nine and a half. <laughs> Exactly. Nobody comes up and bothers me because I'm the power girl. So it was so funny because here I am getting abducted down this alleyway. And I heard my mom and she said, she was mad, man. She, she went, use the element of surprise. And I heard that and I went, oh, that's right from back when we were young. And so I calmed down next four or five steps. I calmed down. And then I said to him, Okay, um, I can go into, um, you know, do see whatever it is you want to show me, but then I need to go into town. So can we hurry because I need to buy some things to give my, my kids gifts when I get back from the cruise ship. And he goes, Oh, yeah, we'll make it fast. I don't know what he was planning, because I never had to deal with it because I took my right arm, which was free and I punched him in the nose. And I literally got him right like this and his face went like that and he let go of my left arm and then I turned and I started running back towards the front but those two guys were standing there like this they didn't know I was coming so I used the football thing where you go like this yep. and I ran into them with my hands like that and I knocked them face down onto the cement I don't know if you're showing me I could see what you did like just oh, full force just and then like I ran out head. and I ran back to the security gate and I burst into tears and the cruise line had the gall to tell me that that was a um, uh, gang that paid the police to stand there and do that to people, to abduct people. So they knew this. So they why would the you allow that? It. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? So I immediately, of course, said, you know, you should have told people and you should warn people and this is wrong. And yeah, but I'm sure they didn't listen to me. But yeah, it was an interesting. And then I, I told my group. Yeah, the three girls that were on the cruise with me, I said, we are not leaving each other from now on. We're the four. We're staying together. This is what happened to me. And you guys, we're all going to stay together. This is not going to happen again. So, yeah, it was Hi, really. David, David, you just popped this, my co-host from the thing at the foot of the bed. I was talking about you earlier. I was saying that you've had quite the near death experience and he has. And our guest from last week, Michael, is here, too. Michael uh, de Blasi. So he's, uh, these guys are quite the gifted uh, mediums and psychics and really interesting stories with spirit. But I don't know, you know what, this often happens on this show. Anybody that's watched the show, it's almost like I make this connection telepathically because many things I'm thinking you are saying, like you'll start to say it. And like, as you were describing what was happening, it's almost yeah. like I could see these guys. And when you said they were at the end, like before you even said it, I could see you going through this happens a lot but the thing is like there's a real 
I don't know what it is, mind meld here or what, but I'm about to ask you something and then you say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you going to ask me about UFOs? Because guess what? I was what? nine years old and I saw a UFO. And oh, my I life- have a better one for you after. Not that it's better. Not that it's better. I don't mean that, my but I'm going to share it because most of us that are in this world, if you will, many of us have UFO and experiences and communication. Go ahead. I'd love to hear your story. Everybody's enjoying it, as you can see. I was out on a deck and it was in West Salem in Salem, Oregon. And my little sister and I were laying on these chairs that you were laid back and you could kind of rock back and forth on them. And um, I was nine, she was seven. And all of a sudden I saw this saucer and it was hovering um, probably about 200 yards out over the um, Willamette Valley River Basin. And I pointed it out to her and said, Jan, look at that, look at that. And she saw it too. And then we watched it as we were watching it, it was kind of hovering and it was and it was kind of shaking. And then it darted off to the side and it went over there and it was kind of hovering and shaking. And then it just took off and it went to the coast towards the west to the um, Oregon coast. And it was gone in a flash, like one second. It was just, and I knew that that was nothing that, you know, we had technology wise. And I ran into my mom and she wasn't a police officer yet. But when I told her, mom, 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 we saw a UFO was out there and gave her the information. She went, that's nice, honey. Sure. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and then the next morning she brought the newspaper to me because she always got up and drank her coffee and read the newspaper. And she said, I apologize for saying that to you last night because it looks like 800 other people saw that same UFO and it's in the newspaper today that they called the police. 800 people had called the police because they saw a UFO. I give your mom a lot of credit because a lot of parents would not have come back and said, I need to apologize to you. But your mom must have known, though. Like you said, you knew things all the time. and Seems like you were very truthful as a child as well. So you weren't like prone to make things up it sounds like so no you no not at all and I just was like you know a little helper kid and always going out and doing you know jobs for people and working and earning money and yeah like you know first first job was like at 14 years old you know just I just was you know I was on the on the right track all the way along I have a so, strange story I was going to share with you yeah. I don't mean to say it was better it's not better I haven't seen a, a UFO before but I keep thinking also of this guy, Mike Cleland. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's actually connected owls with people that see owls. And also they'll say, I wish I could see a UFO. Or after they've seen one, they start seeing a lot of owls. Really interesting topic. But what happened to me, I've always known things. I remember my first experience, actually very scary as a three or four-year-old. And um, sort of I would describe as a bit of a paranormal, but we're on um, the Travel Channel's um, Paranormal Survivor, the previous home we lived in, my partner and I, he's actually on the network. He's on Thursday nights. It's called The Delicious Recipe. His name's Del. It's not a cooking show, though. (laughs) Everything in the pot, he says, and we stir it all up and we leave it, whatever people want to make out of it at the end of it. But um, yeah, I with the UFO thing. So in the house I was living, it was an incredible story. Even a dream that happened 16 years ago, I could, it feels like it was 10 minutes ago. Don't know if it was real or not. It was a being that introduced itself as something negative and tried to get me to follow it. 
And it's not radio friendly what I told it, but basically told it, uh, leave and like leave now. And it told me its name, told me the spelling, told me the animal form. And I remember in the dream calling on Archangel Michael. And there's this brilliant blue flash, silver and white. And I woke up shaking, shivering and crying and in a sweat. And I don't cry very easily. Anyways, there's a reason why I shared that. So we had a lot of strange stuff going on in this previous home. And it was for about 11 years. And there were times when I one of us had to stay awake while the other three slept, my two children, my two boys and Dell, because of an incident that had occurred where he almost died. And um, so it was usually me. So I hadn't slept in quite a few days. And I remember I said, I'm just going to run to the store. We need a few things. It was like three minutes away. I've lived in the city my entire life. I was a community visiting nurse. I know all the back roads. I've had to drive them to go to people's homes or whatever, right? I knew the city. Mm -hmm. I'm at the lights. I blink my eyes. And then when I open them, my phone is ringing. I'm about 40 miles away (laughs) from where I was. And the car's in the opposite direction. The phone is ringing. And it's Dell going, where are you? Like, he knew I hadn't slept much. He was worried, are you in an accident? Like, what happened? And I had to say, I don't know. And he's going, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I'll call you back. I was even shocked I could get service. Wow. So I'm guessing I must have had some kind of ET experience because I literally (laughs) blinked my eyes. That was it. And there was an hour and a half going. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, there's there's so many things out there that we need to, you know, we have to keep an open mind on these things. There's just there's too many things that are out there that we can't explain. And yeah, I always say the more we open this door, we think that real life is real life. Right. But the more that we open this door, the more how infinitely expanded it is versus what we consider to be normal life. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. Yep. And there's a really good, um, I, I tape record my people who are on my IONS um, talks that are in person. And we had an amazing person this last week and it's on soundcloud.com and it's okay. under it's under IONS Santa Barbara. She's um, named Pamela Osley, O-S-L-I-E. And she is a spiritual medium and she does all this wonderful work and she's just amazingly real and normal. She also has a number of books about auras, the colors of auras and what they mean. And she did a talk about the future and what um, she's gotten from the other side about what's happening right now. And it's on soundcloud.com and you just have to put in the IANS Santa Barbara in the search bar. It'll come up with a folder. And then you look at Pam Osley. There's a lot of other speakers that I've had also that you can also listen to those as well. But hers is just really awesome for anyone who wants to hear about what the other side is saying about what's going to be happening in our future year ahead. So, wow, it's really cool. Everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed at the, at the, we usually draw about 120 people that come to our meetings here in Santa Barbara and everybody was absolutely wowed by her, uh, what she, what she spoke about. Well, that's all I was going to say. I connect with two very close friends and we connect with spirit on the other side and they give us they give us a lot of information and we keep saying what are we supposed to do with this like we're just regular everyday people what you're doing you're giving it away you're giving you're passing it on yeah Mm -hmm. 
But this is such a special time to be here right now. And I know it's very scary for people. The unknown always is. But it's such a powerful, incredible, special time to be alive right now. And none of us are here by accident, are they? No, no, we're all here because we're supposed to be here and we're supposed to be doing good work. And I always say it's really important for uh, all of us to be focusing on what we can do to improve the world. And, you know, no, we don't have to go out there and, you know, get upset over the trees and the ecology. We can do our own things within our own means. We, we don't have to be the main people. But every day there's, you know, a baby in a stroller that you can smile at. There's a lady that maybe needs help with her groceries. There's, you know, somebody that needs a door open. There's, you know, somebody who could love to talk with you for a couple minutes. Just give your heart away and just be nice and go out there and do good things for everybody around you. And I think that that's what really motivates me to keep living. And I keep, I always tell the other side, you know, I'm here Put people in front well, of let's me. Let's talk yeah. about your work. We were it's talking a little bit about it before the show started and like a little bit more about IONS and why it's there and why you started it. And like you said, I how I found you. I remember now. Uh-huh. This like I said, this is a couple of years ago. And I had seen your story because many of the things you were sharing now I had seen. Because I do watch near-death experience um, stories and some of them that are very inspirational. I do. I may believe I've shared yours and there was a nurse I know that has shared one that it touched so many people. And I think it's important because, you know, a lot of people don't know, is there an afterlife? Isn't there, you know, is this all there is? And, you know, when they hear stories and it's not a story, it's true recount of what you've been through. So let's talk about that a little bit for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really impacting to people who've had, it's positively impacting to people who have had, you know, the loss of a loved one, or they are facing death themselves. They will talk to me after they've come to the IONS meeting, and they'll want to go to lunch or something, or I'll meet them at the park at a bench. and, And they'll talk to me about what they're going through. And it's really beautiful in what that gift is that they have heard the near-death experience information from multiple people online and through podcasts and etc and as they absorb it into their life and say you know what I'm not going to be afraid of of cancer I'm not going to be afraid of dying I I'm going to choose instead to look forward to transferring back home again because that's what I call it home that's what I call it I all yeah, the time back home I, And I always do a a heart for the O. I always do H and then a heart. Yeah. And so um, I don't, I don't believe that there's a heaven and hell. I I literally didn't believe when I was out of my body and that beautiful being was there. It felt more like complete acceptance, complete love, complete compassion, absolute wonderful, you know, Wow. And so I I look forward to being able to tell people about the experience that I had and also sharing with other people's experiences. When I bring other speakers into Santa Barbara to talk, we tape record them, we put them on SoundCloud. They're out there for people to listen to. It's it's to me, it's the gift that I was given to spread around and to give out. The gift that I got personally from that near-death experience when I was 31 was to safely get away from that abusive husband. Mm -hmm. And that was my gift that I got personally. And 
I just can't tell you how grateful I am to the other side to have gotten away and safely because I was constantly afraid he was going to kill me. And I was seriously afraid because I was highly, um, you know, there's, there was life insurance that he would have gotten for me to accidentally die. And so I was scared. I was very scared. And that they got me out of that and they got me into a safe place. And, and then they got me this wonderful seven foot tall husband. So the other side is really there helping and wanting to help you. And, and all of us, not just people that have had all of this us. type of experience, but it's almost like, you know, the people that do have these experiences are able to come back like what you're doing and sharing with people these experiences and the love and what awaits us and, and what we we talk about this, David and I, a lot on the other show sometimes is, you know, service to self or service to others. And there's no judgment in either way. But, you know, when you connect to your heart and you connect to love, it comes naturally, I think, service Absolutely. to others. Absolutely. And, you know, all these years since I was a little child and I've done the things to help other people and, you know, gone and opened doors and waved and smiled at little babies and taken elderly people under my wing. So I really needed a big, big, giant miracle because this wonderful seven foot tall husband that I married within a year and a half of the time that we married, we found out that he had cancer, lymphoma. Yes. And so we went through How five and a half. with that, Barbara? Like what you, I, you know what I literally just heard in my, wherever it came from is, oh my God, I just found the man of my dreams and now look. Yep. So how did you deal with we that? We had his two children, we had my two children, and then we had a baby together. And he, he, the baby was only about a year old or something by the time that um, we found out that, you know, dad had cancer. So here we have five kids that are, you know, really scared that dad's going to die. And I was too. And what we ended up, I always talk to the other side a lot. And so... Luckily, with my near-death experience story, he didn't fear the cancer. And he just did through, went through all these, he's had it for 30 years now. And he went through five and a half years of chemo. He went through radiation. He went through topical ointments, all these different things. And finally, we decided to switch locations that we were being treated from Los Angeles uh, up to San Francisco. We went to Stanford. And they put him in a clinical study that he was one of 18 people in the clinical study for CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, yeah, yeah. gene editing. Mm -hmm. And the day that they put the stem cells that were gene edited into his body through a PICC line in his arm, mm -hmm. he had over 1,600 cancer cells in the blood sample. There were two different kinds of lymphoma yeah. that had gotten into his system. So two different kinds of lymphoma, over 1,600 cancer cells, 14 days later, zero. So did, zero, they, did, they, zero, zero. did they do the gene editing in the bone marrow? The reason I'm asking is for people that may not understand all this, this medical terminology, it, what sometimes people undergo with these types of cancer, they'll go through chemo and they wipe out their bone marrow. It is horrific to go through and yet hear what you're talking about. So if you wouldn't mind explaining a little yeah, bit more. They please. used donor stem cells from okay. another person. They had looked at using stem cells from Victor's sister, but they decided not to do that. And they used donor stem cells 
changed the genes inside the stem cells so that the DNA was reprogrammed to attack the lymphoma specifically. And this CRISPR organization has done this and actually eradicated sickle cell anemia in other patients in clinical studies and a certain kind of blindness that they were able to direct the stem cells to attack what was causing the blindness and they gave people sight again. And in Victor's study, there are 18 people and the doctor just told us that his last visit, they're gonna watch him for five years and make sure that it stays away. But um, they told him at the last visit, he's now been uh, zero cancer cells in his blood samples for 15 months now. I and they said that. out of all of the 18 patients that he is the very best of all, you know, like having had cancer for as long as he did, having two kinds of lymphoma and then having zero for 15 months now. They said, basically, you're the number one of the 18 you're, you're the best of all the 18 so they're you know they're doing all this stuff to help people out there in the world and you know i don't i wouldn't hold my breath that it's going to come for every the type of disease that there is but they certainly are working hard on getting it done and that was the miracle that my family really needed and and i feel like i've gotten rewarded for the things that i've done in my life to give to others because now i've been given this husband with a clear screen of no no cancer anymore so you know what a what cool. a beautiful story and thank you for sharing that because it, it, like I, I had an interesting conversation with my eldest son today just very briefly and I said with his grandma passing and my son are huge their dad was a big man and they're big well you, I don't have to explain that to you look at you just said seven foot husband my boys aren't seven feet but they're good sized guys and then he had posted a picture with uh his grandma today that oh. she was this little tiny Japanese woman she was a nurse and um I forget how he worded it he was a really beautiful short message, but he said, I'll keep folding those cranes for you. I guess maybe when I wasn't there, they'd done origami together or what have you. That's why I said with your granddaughter that you shared oh, the beautiful memories because my eldest is going to be 28. It's not awful. I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> you lose track once you become adults. And um, he had mentioned, I, I sent him a message and I said, I saw your post and I said, are you okay? Because I knew he was at work. Uh -huh. And I don't usually talk about my, what my son says, but I think this may be helpful. And he said, you know, grief is kind of a weird thing. And I said, yeah, it is. I said, that's why your mom's so passionate about talking about grief and grieving. But I said, the difficult part mm -hmm. is for people who have never experienced something really significant as a loss because they you don't understand it like you'll get people saying and I don't think anybody well there may be people that are mean spirited but a lot of people will say well it's been like four years now like don't you think you should move on or thinking I think they think they're helping but until you've experienced grief right yeah mm -hmm. I think that near-death experiencers like I don't know see like okay as a child here I was about I don't know. I don't think, I think I was maybe about seven years old when my grandfather died and my mom got a telephone call and my older sister was four years older than me. And then my younger sister was two years younger. So she was about five and mm -hmm. I was seven or nine or something like that. And anyway, the three girls were standing there by my mom um, talking on the phone crying. And we found out that my grandfather had died and 
it's interesting because this is one of the things that weirded my mom out. My older sisters, when she, my mom turned around and said, grandpa has died. My older sister burst into tears. My younger sister burst into tears. And I remember I went, because oh, I knew that he would gone home. Not that I knew about my previous NDE experience, but there was just the center of me that knew that he'd gone home. I wasn't sad. I was just happy that he got to go home because I knew home was beautiful. And so my mom looked at me and my older sister looked at me and my mom said, didn't you love grandpa? How come you're not crying? Uh huh. And then I went, "Ah." (laughs) well, what else are you going to do? Thought it fit in, but I, my perfect thought was, oh, grandpa's home. It's okay. He's fine. And it's okay. And we're going to see him again. And that's from a child. That's from a child's viewpoint. So I know it's real. It's not something that I made up along the way. It's not something that I, you know, got taught to me by somebody. It was the honest, you know, feeling inside of my heart was that grandpa was fine. And he, he went home again and it's going to be okay. And, and so and like I said, you'll see him again, but people, yeah. right? Yeah. David yeah. just shared, I was the same way. All of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it, people wouldn't, you know, I mean, yes, grief, we, we're going to miss them being here with us because we can't sure. hug them. But understanding that they're there at home and that you can just keep on continuing to talk to them and mm-hmm. love them from afar. I had a guy who came and talked at my IANS group. His name is Andre Balogue, and he's a, violinist with the New York Symphony Opera or New York Symphony like I don't know band or whatever it is yeah not too anyway he was just like this really famous violinist and he had a son who had passed away and the son had this little pistol thing that shot these little green round little balls and he had just gotten it he was like eight years old and he got hit by a car on it I think on his bike and the father and the mother and the rest of the kids in the family all started finding these little green balls um, like on the top of the mashed potatoes when he, you know, the father would be looking away for a second and saying something to his wife and he'd look back again and nobody was near his plate. Nobody had, yep. and there'd be a green ball and the mashed potatoes, the other, the son from the other side was causing these to be reminders that he was okay, fine. And he's okay. So it was really beautiful. And I, I wish everybody could, you know, understand that our loved ones aren't far. They aren't, you know, in any kind of distress. They're all absolutely fine and they love us. And yeah, so if my mom is going to get mad at me when I'm in a, you know, alleyway in Belize and there's a bad guy hanging on to my arm, I can tell you, you know, she's still around. And so is my dad. And so is everybody's parents and siblings and children and everybody. They're, they're there. They're there. Just talk to them and love them. You're here. They're they there. hear you. They're there. They hear you. You know what? To back that story up, um, do you know you? I'm sure you, I think you've connected with Elisa Medhus. Have you before with Channeling no. Air? No, oh, I thought maybe you had. Okay, I don't know. Maybe I, I got that confused. So the reason why I mention it is for people that don't know who Elisa is. She is a physician with five children, uh, came from a family of physicians, and also, in these were her words, like staunch atheism, like no belief in an afterlife or any higher power. And their middle uh, child, Eric, who was about 21 when this happened, he 
he took his life. I'll say, cause we're on YouTube to be careful with that word. And obviously just so grief stricken, the whole family. And um, all of a sudden, but you remain, I'm not smiling because of their loss. What I'm smiling of was apparently Eric had very stinky socks. Like you knew he was around by the smell of his socks and he used to like to smoke, we'll call it the green stuff and use the cursy words and whatever. Well, all of a sudden for each member of the family, like he was a real prankster. So there'd be pranks or the smell of the stinky socks or the smell of the green stuff. And then I think what, as Elisa shared it before, how it worked for her was her father called her and I believe he was overseas living and he said, I think I'm losing my mind. And she said, well, what do you mean? And as she shares the story, he said, I was sitting here and Eric showed up in front of me like he would have as a four-year-old child, climbed up on my lap, stroked me on the cheek and said, I love you, Papa, and oh. disappeared. So afterwards she went, even though I believe in coincidences, this is beyond coincidental. So she started looking into this and she actually does a show. I, I really enjoyed her first medium, Jamie Butler, but Jamie would bring Eric through and she never took a penny from anybody. She would pay for the medium herself and she would conduct interviews on the other side with people or people that had like a big question and they'd be able to channel it through the medium. It was really incredible. And she still does it. Yeah. Well, there's a soul phone that's being developed right now by a team of people, and they are trying to connect the other side with this side so that a parent can actually talk to a deceased loved one. I haven't heard a lot about that. I'd love to hear more about that. Soul phone is what it is. You'll have to Google it. Oh, I, my friend Augie told me about that. The soul phone. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're working on doing testing on it, and it's been very amazing. They're really excited about it. So hopefully it's uh, it, technology. You know, it's on a certain wavelength and I, I don't, can't explain it. But you, well, can look you know, ITC works like intertrans communication. Like, again, through I always say through our experience and I never went looking for the paranormal. I always say it found us. And um, there's recordings from our home because I used to call into a friend's show every week and started rediscovering, I think, who I was. I didn't realize like many of the things you've shared not quite as, as, as astounding, but I remember telling my roommate when I was about 16, we've lived together from the time of about 17, 18, till we got married. And when I told her that I sort of discovered who I am and what I'm doing now, I thought she'd be shocked or make a smart comment or something. And she just said, yeah, Laura, she goes, when we lived together, you would know things and I'd have no idea how you'd know it. You just always knew it. You'd, I never even asked. I just knew you were going to know. And so I don't know. It's it's cra it's crazy, the whole bit. But <laughs> cut out for you. You were Anyways, I, yeah. I was going to say, I used to call into uh, Paranormal Soup. He still does a great show here on Sunday nights, Jason Bland. Um, uh, I think it's from... 11 until one or two, I think in the morning. Anyways, um, his Halloween show, I didn't even plan on calling in. I, and I called from the most active part of our house at the time. And the recordings that came through there, very scary, of course, but um, they were so clear. It was like talking to somebody on telephone. So my whole point is that 
if we can make that kind of connection, imagine with the high vibrational energy back home and with the love. I, and I can see that coming to fruition really soon. So I'm yeah. really excited about it. Yeah, I think it'll help people to understand that, you know, death isn't the end and we don't just stop existing, that there there is another side and we came from there and we go back to there. And so it's it's a beautiful place and we love it when we're there and we come here to grow our soul and have these experiences and, you know, go on forever after. Yeah, yeah, I get to do all this stuff and then we go back home again. Yeah. So So let's I, talk about your movie because you were in a documentary and you've been featured in some books or anything else you want to talk about. People are loving this, by the way. I don't know if you've been seeing the comments, but people are going, Oh my god, I'm enjoying this this show. I'm loving it. And thank good. you for all your wonderful comments. Good. Well, I love giving the gift of what I know to others. And so to me, it's like really joyful for me to get to talk in front of you guys give that gift away I'm so, just loving you I know I'm gonna have to have you back if you'll be willing to come back because I'd love to have you back well the, I've had also the you know I want to talk about the intuition thing and mm -hmm. also your intention because not only did that you know list of those character traits bring me this great husband that I have but I actually have done that many many times in my life to get jobs that I wanted, yeah. um, you know, places that I wanted to go see. Um, it, it's really something where when you plant your energy towards something, it's amazing if you have your door open to the other side, how they'll be able to deliver it to you. Mm -hmm. So one of the amazing things was that I was walking through a mall, a shopping mall that had just opened up in Salem, Oregon, when I was 16 years old. And my mom was a police officer by then. And so she was walking along, you know, and she was going to, I think, Sears or something. And uh, there was this big, giant uh, chicken wire container that had all of these little pieces of paper in it. And it was up on top of a, a table and it had these pads of, of entries and they were giving away a car. So as I, I was 16, I didn't have a car. And so as I was walking by it, I went, oh. All of a sudden, I knew right here that I was going to win the car. And, oh, sorry. That's and okay. I ended up, um, you know, saying to my mom, Mom, you know, I have to be 18 years old and licensed driver to be able to enter this. I need your driver's license. I'm going to put your name down on it. She was like, Barbie, come on. You couldn't win a dirty sock. I'm like, oh, <laughs> mom, you've got to let me have your driver's license. So I was like a you know, intensive. So I reached into her purse and I said, I'll meet you over at Sears. And I took her driver's license and I went over and I put one entry. Okay. Out of 60,000 entries, I won that car. My mom actually won it because I had to put her name down. Wow. Her. She was like, oh my God. She ended up giving it to my older brother. I didn't even get it. But, <laughs> but it was this beautiful moment where I just, all of a sudden when I walked by, wow, I know that I'm going to win that car. I have to enter. I have to enter. So it was can we talk cool. about that for a second? Because yeah. I find this fascinating because I, I can tell you that in my lifetime, there have been things where you just know in your soul of soul that you are going to win or it's going to happen. And what do you think that is? Like, do you think it's spirit saying, yeah, go for it. Like this, you're going to make it happen. Or do you think it's because of the power? Because we are powerful as human beings. We've never been taught how powerful mm -hmm. we are, not from an ego sense. We have all these oh. that we've just never been 
like it, like you say, the intuition, the communication. I mean, I think we can do telepathy, telekinesis, all of these things, right? So what yep. do you think it is? Well, I think that the, I think when we come here for one thing, we have had some of the planning that we've done for yes. our life. Yeah. So maybe I remembered that I you was built in the car, <laughs> or I think that also the other side feels what we want. Like when I wanted my husband to come into my life that was kind and gentle and friendly and happy and not this other person that had been so abusive. I wanted this good guy and I ended up getting the good guy right down to the 206 things that I had on the list. And so you know why? Yeah. I don't need to get you off there, but I'm so excited about this. You know, you, you often hear, I mean, the global you that in order to know love, we have to know, feel like maybe what hate is or what, I don't know if I believe that, but if you, what just hit me is in the awful relationship that you had with your first husband, where I was going with that is you knew what you didn't want. Mm -hmm. So you were very clear about what you did want all down to the 206, right? And I never put anything negative on that list of 206. Mm -hmm. I only put positives on it. But there. that's what I meant though, through your experience mm -hmm. yeah. is you were, you knew exactly what you wanted, right? Mm -hmm. You knew, and like Correct. you said, it's all positive. Yeah. You don't want to put the negative on there, but I meant, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if people could look, cause I, I always say to people, and I forget too, like say we're have to be somewhere and then we've got trains that still go across tracks and certain parts of the city here and you get held up by a train or something, a traffic jam or something. Right. And I usually just try to stop, breathe and tell myself this has happened for a reason. Maybe if it hadn't happened, who knows, I might've got T-boned or you know what I'm saying? I don't focus on these negative things, but I know sort of in the bigger picture, there's a reason why it plays out. Exactly. And I, I just had a lady who called me after she had heard this talk. She called me and she said, I have to tell you something. I was listening to your talk. And what you said was, you know, to actually listen to the other side. And she said, I was coming up to an intersection. And I just had this huge, I know that I'm supposed to stop. And I okay. need to just even though the light is green, I need to stop. So she stopped. There wasn't anybody behind her. And some truck or something went racing through the intersection against the light. And she said, had I gone forward, they would have they would have hit me. And she said, I can't believe that you said, you know, make sure that you're listening to what the other side is telling it's you. It's so important. Yes, because they know what the situation is and they're trying to help and they're trying to, I, they, re they really wanted the best for you. And so I just, I always say to them, you know, I'm here to listen to you and I'm here for you to plant people in front of me and I'm here to do good things. And so just, you know, whenever you want me to go home, I'm ready to go. But, you know, until then, give me good things to do. So I'm going to read this comment, but then maybe if you're open to it, I'd love to talk more about what what you could possibly suggest to people to help them to hear that, like to be able to listen and maybe some of the things that you do that, that help with the connection and what have you. But I did want to share Elizabeth Gates. She had mentioned earlier, even though I know I will see my loved ones again, I miss the physical presence. And that she said, I did the same thing before I was divorced. I met the man that is my husband now. And I said, I wish I could, 
meet and be with a man like that. We met again at a party a year later, and we've been married 39 years on March 10th. So happy Good job. Good yeah. job. Yes. That happy is the other side wants to help us. You know, they want us to have, you know, they're they want us to have what we want to have happen. So then the question gets raised, okay, well, what about people with cancer? Are they wanting to have that cancer or how is that happening? You know, like what happens if, you know, something bad happens in your life? Did you plan that? I can't, I don't have a question. I don't have an answer for you on that because I have an answer. Uh, you do go tell me. What I truly believe with connecting with spirit is sort of building off what you had said, which I wholeheartedly believe that we choose to be here. We're here for a reason. We build in experiences, but we have thousands and thousands and thousands of of lives past lives we're going to go into future lives but every experience we come in we set some goals to help our soul our soul grow and evolve right. now that might be did we wish cancer on ourselves no but maybe there was something within that experience that either we were supposed to meet maybe help because we make agreements with other souls when we come in. Maybe there was something within that disease process that we were going to learn. Because I can tell you, I have been blessed thousands, hundreds of times being there at the beginning of life, working in the NICU. And I am deeply passionate about palliative care. Because I ended up having people that look perfectly healthy like yourself and I. And then be there right at the end. And I felt so deeply honored again, hundreds of times to have families ask me to be there to help their loved one transition. And I always say back home, mm -hmm. but growth oh, yeah. and evolution that people make. And again, that's with no judgment. It's just noting the difference in the human being and the time that they have during that disease process. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's almost like I believe we experience what we experience, not necessarily that we picked it, but what we can learn and help, and it will help our, our souls grow and evolve. Plus, when negative things happen in life, we have a choice. We always do, right? And we've seen some beautiful, incredible things happen out of people that have experienced horrific things. Yes. Maybe changes in laws, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like groups like yourself. Not that that was a horrific experience. But what I'm saying is you've seen parents, maybe that have murdered children, who have then gone on to create this incredible support system for other parents. You see what I'm saying? Because when things are status quo, right? How many right. of us have said, right. I wish it could go on forever, right? Yeah. If we didn't have that experience in our life, we wouldn't move to, to something yes. beneficial. Yes. In another and situation. I don't have all the answers, but to me that makes sense because I get a lot of people that I'll say, you know, I've lost my faith in God because God did this to me or, or what have you. Right. And sometimes you got to be so delicate sometimes going through that conversation if they're open to having it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's no reason to blame, but what it is is really instead to look at how what you do in your life can benefit everything, everything in your life. I don't even have an anger uh, issue with my ex-husband who was so abusive to me. I, I, I forget him long ago. And I, you know, people that are out there creating situations, I forgive them too. Can we I, talk about forgiveness? Because that's what people don't get, right? There'll be people hearing this saying, how could Barbara ever forgive him what he did to her back and the awful things that happened? 
But can we talk about, would you be comfortable talking about yeah, forgiveness, what that meant to you? No reason to hang on to it because that is a negative thing that you hang on to that, that anger and that upset and that, you know, damn him. Then that just puts anger and upset and, and through, throughout your body, which causes, as far as I'm concerned, illness in your body. So Absolutely. if you let, you let it go and you just say, you know what? I learned a lot from that situation. I, you know, I'm glad that it's over. I wish him well. I don't want to spend my hours with him, but I don't hate him. And I don't, you know, don't have anything over that hangs over me anymore. Then that is, that's really releasing you from that trauma and the drama that, that went on during that situation. And to make room for something new, like you said, this incredible man that you've married. Instead on positives. Yeah, exactly. Focus on the positives folks. Focus on the, you know, what, what, what do you have that you're happy about in your life and you know, what can you do to make somebody else happy? And what can you do to benefit somebody else? That's what you focus on. You know, let go of the other stuff. It, I you know, ask you earlier. There's so many things I want to talk about. I'm getting yeah. so excited about this. But I, we were starting to talk about how to better hear that voice from the other side to connect, like with the intuition and the whole bit. Ask for it, you know, open the door to it and ask for it. I, all those times when I had that 206 things on the list, you know, I just would say, you know, I, you know, don't know who this person is, but I know that you do people, you know, God, angels, whoever you want to call it up that, you know, creator, Buddha, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't believe that God cares what you, God or the creator or whoever it is up there cares what you call him i don't, I don't. believe that there's ego going on up none there. of them do i don't think no, no it's just love that you know creator and then talk to him and say this is what i need in my life i need to have this brought in and this is you know they and i would say the more specific you can be with your request the better it is because then they know truly what you're looking for. So writing it down and adding to it and adding to it and looking it over and revising it and adding to it. I really think that that shows them your intention that you want to go in that direction and gives them the clear picture of what it is you're looking for. So that's why I got this, you know, 206 things in my husband, my sweet, tall husband He's like, I literally had down on my list must be tall because I had dated a guy in college that was shorter than me. Yeah. And we went to a dance and he laid his head on my shoulder. I'm five yeah. nine, which didn't feel really good for me. And like so I said, we're really, almost the same height. Yeah, I, uh, I don't really like that. Yeah. So for some reason, it doesn't feel comfortable for a woman to be like really taller than. So I literally wanted somebody who was tall. So what does God have or? creator a good sense of humor because he sends me a seven foot tall guy you know that's pretty pretty interesting well, you so, said tall <laughs> you said tall that's right yeah so yeah so we we have um you know i've got another story when i was when i was going to have a baby with my husband my tall husband oh, beautiful. um we uh were at about the sixth month and all of a sudden i got this feeling right here where I get my intuition moments where I get this feeling and I realized I was going to have an 11 pound uh, baby. Oh dear God. 
Mm-hmm. And my previous ones were seven and a half and eight and a half. So I went to this doctor that I had my OBGYN and I, we'd had a ultrasound in the third month, but I said, you know, my husband's seven feet tall and, and I haven't had a baby with him before. And, um, you know, I really am worried that I'm having this big, really large oversized baby. Could we, could we do something to check on that? And he said, no, 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 no. There's no reason for you to think that, you know, you're just scaring yourself. Let me tell you that. <laughs> probably would have listened to me and I I went to two different visits then the third visit I I told talked to my husband each time afterwards and said he's not listening to me and the third visit my husband said well tell him that you're a near-death experiencer tell him the truth about you know your knowledge of what happens and you get these messages from the other side (laughs) so I'm talking to this OBGYN and I tell him you know hey I'm going to let you know that I'm a near-death experiencer I have these intuition moments that are coming from the other side they warn me about things they tell me and I got the intuition moment that I'm going to have an 11 pound baby I need you to listen to me and he said you know what if you want to talk about this anymore why don't you go find another doctor I'm I'm not going to discuss this anymore and so it was like a week before the baby was due and I I was working full-time and I had the other four children and I was like oh I, I don't have time to go look for another doctor and try to get in somewhere and I'm just going to leave it in God's hands and so I got to the hospital a day that baby was going to be delivered and they get me up into the stirrups to, to deliver the baby and the doctor comes in and he tells me to push and I deliver my baby's head. And that's when the doctor realized, oh my God, the baby's not going to come out. The birth is going to get stuck. We should have done a C-section. Yeah, duh. He panicked completely, rolled backwards on his little chair and said, is there another doctor in the near vicinity when nobody came? He rolled back and turned back to us and said he was going to break the baby's shoulders. That's what I knew you were going to say. And I was like, oh, my God, please, God, please help him get out. So it turned out that the baby was born 11 pounds. He was 20, I think, 28 and a half inches long. Oh, dear God, how did you even have a humongous baby? Literally, he looked like he was five or six months old when he was born. Like if people don't realize a normal newborn is about 19 to 20, 21 inches long. (laughs) Dear God. He was monster huge. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, he's six foot six and he's up in Canada and he's a big strap and good guy up in Canada helping animals at this animal shelter. I love it. So, um, yeah, but it was, you know, interesting to have. And I went to that doctor after the baby was born and I said, I had the baby in my arms and I was back to, you know, a two week uh, appointment afterwards. Mm -hmm. And he came in and and the nurse had told me to dress down. And I said, no, I'm not going to be dressing down. I'm not going to be doing that. So when the doctor came in, he was like, well, you know, why aren't you dressed down? I need to do an exam. And I said, because I need to tell you that you wouldn't listen to me. And I was right in what I was telling you. And you completely discredited it. And so therefore, Dr. So-and-so, if you can't listen to me, then I can't ever listen to you again. I'm going to find myself another doctor who will. He actually stopped practicing about a year later. He went on our city council and he was like totally negative on the city council. Nobody liked him. He was always getting into fights and stuff like that. He was this big ego. But, you know, I have 
out of the whole thing. I've got my 11 pound baby and he's now 28 years old and he's a good kid. It sounds like you so, had your lot, your, yours the same time. Mine's 28. No, I always tell my son and people don't believe me, but I had had my back injury by then as a nurse. That's why I, was, I stay on top of nursing. So my license, but I haven't been able to go back to work, but um, I don't hurt my back when it originally when I was 16 and I was always told I'd never have any children. I couldn't with infertility issues, but oh, as wow. a little girl, and I know it was spirit. Now I, I don't think I've told this story on air yet. I was always told I was going to have three little boys. And the first one's name was supposed to be Jordan, the middle one, Justin. And I don't even think I really care for this name, but I kept hearing the name Jared. Oh, okay. So I went through all kinds of infertility stuff, got pregnant with my eldest Sorry, Logan, I'm going to give your name away. He's been on the show before, Logan. His father wouldn't agree to call him anything but Logan with the X-Men back in the day. But my whole point is I went into labor with him for five days. So I still remember, right? Well, I have my second child. I had acupuncture for my back and I could not believe I was pregnant. And you know, I was pregnant. Wow. I'm pregnant with him. His name is Justin. His oh. middle name is Michael after Archangel Michael. Yeah. Well, and I, most people, this doesn't happen. When I was 50, I got pregnant and I lost the baby. And we'd always sort of felt maybe it was a girl. But you know, in this line of work, you run into mediums and whatever. I have had so many people that are mediums have asked me, who is this little boy that's around you? So is that's not spirit telling you, right? Like, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly that's that that little boy still around you, still loving you. And even though he's not present in this world, he's at home and he's still loving yeah. you. Well, we're yeah. going to see them all again. I know. We'll all get to see. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward. Not that I want to die tomorrow because I want to keep doing my work and helping my family and doing my fun stuff. But what, yeah. are, like, what are you doing? Like, what does a normal day look like? We've got about 10 minutes and I'd love for you to tell people like, so what are you doing with IONS and how do you arrange all these speakers and, and yeah. what have you? Because it sounds like you work with grieving people, like people with grief and like you said, mediums and what have you. Yeah, I go to the IONS conferences and I get to meet a lot of people at the conferences. This year it's going to be over Labor Day weekend in Arlington, Virginia. So I'll, my husband and I will fly there. Everybody knows us. We go and hug everybody. But what's nice is I get to meet new experiencers. And so that's how I get a lot of my speakers to come to Santa Barbara is that I meet them at the conferences. Um, I also am retired from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Your muggle I, job. <laughs> I always call it muggle yeah, job. <laughs> yeah, my, my job. But I, yeah, I loved it. I actually loved it there. And my husband also worked there and he had 36 years under his belt. Oh, wow. But I'm the brand new retirees president for the association for all of the retirees. There's probably about 2,000 of them. Oh, wow. And yeah, so we, um, ex we do different uh, courses and talks and we do uh, trips that they can go on and we do all sorts of neat things. So for the next two years, I'm going to be focused really strongly on that as well as my IONS group that I, I run on a monthly basis. We have a really wonderful venue here in Santa Barbara that's a, a big auditorium with art on the walls from the Art Association and um, it's right next to the public library and so it's a beautiful spot. So we, we do our monthly meetings here on the second Wednesday of every month from 7 to 9 p.m. and we have our guest speakers and we, we also do something kind of cool. The other IONS groups don't do this but I wish they would 
we have our main meeting from 7 to 9 p.m. And then we have another meeting from 6 to 6.45 that are two actual meetings. One of them is for experiencers that have had some sort of a spiritually transformative experience, whether it's an out-of-body experience, whether it's a near-death experience, a shared death experience, anything that's changed, you know, you're you out in the world. To talk about that. I hope you'll come uh, back. I didn't want to cut you off because I know it's not a short topic, a shared de death yeah. experience, is it? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So we actually have this uh, wonderful leader that leads this group and they all get to talk with one another, just like I did at that IONS conference. They get to meet and talk with and share um, if they want to. They don't have to talk at all if they don't want to. They don't have to share at all, but they can listen. And so we have that group. Then we also have a doctor here in town, the, Dr. James Quacko, who leads um, the other group, which is just questions about death and afterlife oh, and consciousness. And he teaches through our city college, but he's also a physician here in town. So he teaches a, a, you know, another group that he leads that anybody can ask any question at all. And if he doesn't know the answer, he won't answer. You know, he won't give a wrong answer, but he is just so knowledgeable and he's just such a good, kind heart. So we have those two meetings before we have our main meeting and then our guest speaker talks. And we have a question and answer period at the end for the guest speaker. And it's just so awesome. It's just like the, the energy in the room is just so beautiful and such nice people attend. And it's just, I would never want to give you it up. Do you get on as an online content at all for people? Um, we did when we were in COVID, but I, I wasn't really comfortable doing the podcasts online because I really love the touchy feely giving hugs we and just meant like a story even yeah. because yeah. you know there's a lot of people that might connect with that or not even know but go ahead sorry well, I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that um you know do interview these people and so I let them do their work there and I have my in-person meetings in Santa Barbara and and there's you know ions groups all over the United States so there's Seattle and there's Chicago and there's you know Virginia Beach Virginia I meant though even around the world because remember we're going yeah. out all over the world here so yeah. there's people that are going to be hearing this and going wow they're yeah. talking about this somebody's had this experience I felt so alone so that's why I'm asking you <laughs> well the ions organization has a online group that they actually okay. have guest speakers online it's called isgo so it's you know iands.org and then you look at you know groups and they have an online group that people can log in right. from anywhere in the world so that's you know also there too you're doing a wonderful benefit for people all around the world I mean that it is just amazing what you're doing with yours. So bless your heart for contributing. You're the first well. big, bigger story, like talking just about near death experience. And I've been asking spirit to connect me. So that's why I knew that eventually what, this was going to happen when it was meant to happen. Like David's talked about it. I've had other people, but I haven't done a whole show on this and I've really wanted to. Because yeah. um, I had one lady from Ireland, but she, I, I don't like the term a death doula, death doula oh. and grief counselor and stuff. Um, I'd love to do that if my back, you know, got right. gone to the point that I, I, I would. thought that would be me. I'd, 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 I'd identify with that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you're the first person I've had on a whole show to do this. I'd love to do more about it because the comments, we've got so many comments. Uh, Rachel just said, I joined in at the, I was going to have an 11 pound baby. Great guest. <laughs> Believe me. 
<laughs> you have to go back to beginning and listen, Rachel. Um, Barbara's amazing. And like, we didn't even talk about shared death experiences. And like I said, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Barbara, but I'd love to have you back on to talk about well, many of these other phenomena. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, an experience where you're loving the person that's passing away and you're sitting next to the bed or you're in the room with them and you actually go part way with them. That's been very well documented. And Raymond Moody, the um, person who wrote the Life After Life book that initially started near-death experiences as a term, um, he actually has been investigating these for quite some time and is doing books about them as well. So there's a, a really good group called Shared Crossing Project that mm -hmm. um, focuses on the shared death experiences. And that's William Peters, and he's a marriage family therapist. And so, yeah, there's a lot of information out there in the world, guys. Use your wonderful computers mm -hmm. and check it out because it expands your heart. It expands your consciousness. It expands who you are completely by finding out this information that's not what we were all told when we were growing up. Yeah. That's for sure. And you know what? We've got just a couple minutes left. Barbara, goes by too quick. You wouldn't believe people are just like, oh my God. Hours. So they're going to want you back. I know they are. I'm going to get them a whole bunch of messages. And I love when they do, when people enjoy this show. So you'll be, I'll be contacting you in the near future and say, if you got a moment, I know you're busy too, but if you can come back on. So how do people get a hold of you? Okay. Well, if you're coming to Santa Barbara, come and see me I, um, oh my god i'd love to go to yeah California. i'll meet you for lunch and we can walk on the mm -hmm. beach and we can sit on a bench and we can have a talk so i don't mind doing that with people just be a good person and don't know naughty people so yeah. um my email address is sunny like sunshine so it's s-u-n-n-y and then s-b for santa barbara where i live and then barbara so sunny sbbarbara at gmail.com. That's my email address. And you can reach me through my email address. And that'd be the perfect way to do it. I get a lot of I get a lot of emails. So because I give this address out all the time. So don't feel bad if I don't contact you within a short period of time. And I can't fix people's problems. That's the one thing that I, I wish that I could say that the emails that come through to me of, of, you know, very deep problems with people. I wish I'm not a marriage family therapist. I'm not a counselor. I don't have education in that area. I'm a person, just a normal person. And I give love away and I tell people, you know, focus on other people rather than focusing on yourself. That's how you get out of depression is, you know, find those other people that you can love and cherish and have happy times. Um, but it's not something that I can, you know, I can't fix everybody's problems. And so please remember that. Yeah. I am so glad you came on here. Thank glad you. To be here. Thank you. Um, and I want to thank everybody in the audience. Remember, please share and subscribe if you're on YouTube, as well as we're on Roku. Um, remember, there's we've got a whole bunch of new hosts. We've got the Horsefly Chronicles coming up next with uh, Julia and Phil Syracusa. There's something for everybody. So please share. And uh, again, if you've missed or you just came in, like Rachel said, the replays, we are carried wherever podcasts or talk radios uh, shows are carried. We are carried. So you will be able to find us. Now, if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me on facebook.com forward slash the angel rock. I have two groups I run on Facebook, Paranormal University for some of the more 
I guess, mysteries of the world when it comes to Unexplained and then the Angel Rocker Tribe for many of the things that Barbara and I talked about tonight and much more. Um, also, if you want to book a reading, I do mentoring, I do energy healing sessions, things like that. And then stay tuned for Thursday because I will be back with my co-host who was here. He had to duck out, uh, David Hansel with the thing at the foot of the bed. If you've got questions, comments or ideas, people were asking about fairies last week and all kinds of stuff. So um, that's what we love to do. We like to answer those questions. Same time, same space. And please come back next Monday. Same time, same space. I just blanked about who my guest was, but I have a guest next week. I promise. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Barbara, so much for being thank here. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. And big hugs to everybody out there. Go out there. Remember that, you know, you are loved and the other side is loving you every second and go out there and love other people and do good things in the world. Okay. When you focus on that, your life is going to be so much happier. You'll be lit up from inside from all the things that you are doing for others. So it's a gift to yourself, believe me. So much love and light, everybody. Big hugs. We'll see you on Thursday. Okay. Take care. Good morning. Bye, good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. Sorry, would you say Barbara? Bye everybody.